I'd like to read from Exodus chapter 32, just uh, four verses here, uh, verses 11 through 14. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord as God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Here's the key word, remember. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This morning we're going to talk about the power of remembrance. Let's pray for just a moment before we get there. Father, thank you that you invite us to remember promises of old, moments that you have wanted us to reflect on and to think about, like when we share communion together. We remember that you are a great God, and we remember that there are great moments when you have put your power on display in the lives of your people and even in our lives today. And we ask that as we focus on remembering for the next couple of Sundays, that you will renew our understanding of who you are and of your promises to your people, and that you will realign us with what you are doing in the world. Lord, we pray for our church, and we ask that you will make the next year as fruitful as the years that are behind us now, and we ask that as we move into a, a new school year, you will bless our students and our teachers and also that as we, as we wrap up our, our summer celebrations that seem to end around Labor Day, that you will allow us to find rhythms that put you at the top of our agendas where you are part of every day, you are part of the way that we think, you are part of the way that we operate. Thank you for the gathering that is a part of North River Church here today. Those who are here in the room, those who are watching online, those who are off vacationing somewhere today. We, we ask that you will continue to bind us together, give us one spirit, one heart, one vision, one mission, and make that clearer and clearer over time. Lift, we lift up those who are struggling today. We think of our friend Jerry Kamen and ask that you will continue to give him strength and healing, body, soul, and mind. We pray for our friend Joan Cahill as, as she is uh, still... Uh, persevering on in the midst of those final days, and, and we ask that you would give her a great sense of calm and comfort. Lord, we know that there are others who are struggling with, for one reason or another, and we ask that you'd give them strength. We ask that your presence would be overwhelming. Lord, there are also great joys that we have in our lives, too, and we ask that you would celebrate with us when there are reasons for us to rejoice and that you would continue to give us joy in every season of life. Guide us this morning as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you believe me if I told you that the way that we practice the art of remembrance can affect your children, your grandchildren, and those who follow after us? 
There was a report recently in Nature Neuroscience Journal which focused on a study done at Emory University in the School of Medicine there that, uh, where they trained a group of male mice to fear a smell that is similar to the scent of cherry blossoms. They were given a very slight electric shock while being exposed to this cherry blossom scent. And the researchers were then able to track a section of DNA in these mice that was transferred to both the mice's, mice's offspring and to the second generation of the mice's offspring. The mice's children and grandchildren were not exposed to the cherry blossom smell until they were adults. However, these future generations of mice were extremely sensitive to cherry blossoms and would avoid that particular scent despite never having experienced the shock treatment that their parents or grandparents were exposed to. And the study found this was evidence of what they called transgenerational epigenic inheritance, that something powerfully remembered could impact the behavior of future generations. Now, the study went on to show that they believe that this also takes place in the lives of human beings, but that would take, you, take me too long to explain, and I'm not scientific enough to remember all of those details. But they think that we operate in much the same ways. In other words, there are certain events that happen in our lives that can cause fear or trauma that somehow work their way into our DNA, and it gets transferred on where the next generations have that same memory embedded into their DNA. Think about that for a moment. Now, don't worry. I know you didn't come here to talk about mice this morning. Uh, I have a, a daughter who's a researcher in labs, and she works with mice every day. She loves to talk about mice, but we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about how the art of remembering can impact not only our lives, but also those who follow after us. This morning, we're beginning a, a quick two-week series that we're simply calling Remember. And the reasons for that have to do with today being the anniversary of our startup date 33 years ago and next week being 9-11 and also the day of our, our big event where we go out to serve. The challenge to stop and remember is something that is repeated throughout the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. For a handful of reasons related to North River's history, we're going to focus on the value of remembering. So, this morning's topic is very simple, the power of remembrance. Welcome to North River Church today. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time or this is maybe even your second time, I'd like to welcome you and hopefully you will learn something about who we are and what we believe here at North River. Uh, I met somebody this morning, and this happens very often, who was watching us online for a number of times and, and decided to come here today. So thank you for taking the time to worship God and to learn with us. I'm glad to, that so many here at our Pembroke campus are with us. I also want to warmly welcome all of those who are watching online today. And you're a part of our, our congregation. It just gets wider and wider wherever you are watching. Let's keep inviting friends to experience this with us. Let's keep learning and exploring God's Word together. That's the way that this grows. Most people who have found our church have found our church through a friend. And the friend told them about what they were experiencing, and that led to their next step as well. If you are new to North River and you've been in the shadows or you've been on incognito or you've only been online, I'd love for you to connect with us in some way. You can do that through our website, northriverchurch.org forward slash visit. That will lead you to a connection card that you can fill out and that allows us to begin the conversation. Or you can go out to the Welcome Center if you're here in the room this morning and ask for a connection card and that ends up on my desk. If you forget all those details, just email me, paul 
at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to hear from you. Here's our mission statement, who we are as a church. Helping people who are far from God become fully developed worshipers and servants of Christ. Now here's the question that I have for this morning's message. Is remembrance something that is more than simple nostalgia? When we remember, are we just diving into the past and trying to keep the past alive for the sake of of loving old things? Or is there a way that remembrance can impact us? I'd like to talk about four ways of how remembrance, the art of remembrance, impacts us. Here's the first way. It connects us with the God who remembers. In Exodus 32, we read these words a moment ago, starting with verse 13. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Israel is the name that Jacob was given later in his life. To whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Notice what happens next. The Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. There are several times when the scriptures tell us that God remembers something or someone. He remembered Noah and all the wild animals in the midst of the storm and the flood. He remembered his covenant with Noah when he saw the rainbow. He remembered Abraham's plea not to destroy Sodom if at least 10 righteous people were, were there. Even though there weren't 10, God still honored his promise to Abraham and rescued Lot and his family. He remembered Rachel's prayer when she had been unable to conceive and soon enough she had a son. In 1 Samuel, we read about how the Lord remembered Hannah and soon Samuel was born. 1 Chronicles tells us that he remembers his covenants and his promises for up to a thousand generations for those who love him and serve him. And there are many, many more times when we find that the Lord himself remembers. Exodus chapter 32 presents to us one of those great moments when God remembered. The scene was Israel's golden calf moment. If you think back, whether you're familiar with the story of Exodus or you've just seen Charlton Heston in the, the, the movies, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments. And he'd been up on the mountain for a long time, 40 days, 40 nights. Meanwhile, down on the level ground, Moses' brother Aaron had been pressured into fashioning a golden calf for the people to worship instead of the Lord because they felt that Moses had delayed too long and he wasn't coming back, that he died up there on the hills. And so therefore they needed some other God to worship. In doing this, the people had rejected the Lord and they had given their worship to an idol of their own fashioning. In righteous anger, The Lord told Moses that he would destroy the people and yet fulfill his promise through Moses and Moses' family. He would make Moses' family into that great nation that would inherit all of the promises that had been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was when Moses pleaded with God to remember his covenant, to remember his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now known as Israel. And Moses even told the Lord that if he would not forgive the sins of the people, that he should blot out Moses' name from the book of life too. In other words, Moses was ready to die with the people. Now, I don't think, this is me reacting to the scriptures, I don't think that God ever intended to carry through on that threat that he would wipe out the people, but rather God was doing something within Moses. God himself is described as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We recite so often. 
And he was developing in, that Mo, in Moses that shepherd's heart, a desire to lead people well in good times and in bad times. And in this moment, Moses lays aside any pride or thought of personal greatness, and he identifies with the people. And in that moment, Moses was never more like the God that he was serving, who is ultimately our shepherd. And God relented. He did not bring about that disaster. He continued to work with the people, even though there were consequences and there was punishment that came from that act. This is a high water mark in the leadership development of Moses. He pushed away thoughts of personal reward, and he identified with God's people forevermore. He acted as the true shepherd, concerned for the welfare of the flock. And in that moment, he was reflecting the attitudes and the characteristics of the Lord who identifies himself as our shepherd. There are times when this discipline of remembrance connects us with the God who remembers his covenants and who keeps his promises. That's the first way that remembrance impacts us. Here's a second. It aligns us with God's promises. If we move ahead to another Old Testament book, Nehemiah chapter 1, we read these words. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah lived near the end of Israel's exile to Babylon and Persia. Because Israel's kings had led the people into serving idols openly, even in the temple, the Lord stopped blessing the nation of Israel. And he told them that he was going to take that blessing off them for a time, and they'd be carried off into captivity. And so Jerusalem had been sieged and sacked, and the leaders had been taken to Babylon. God had allowed Babylon to conquer them as a form of punishment for turning away from him. There, God had also promised to bless them if they continued to serve him in this foreign land. In fact, he said he would even bless that foreign land because of them and because of their presence. And then after 70 years, Nehemiah came along and he was asking the Lord to remember his promises and let the people return. Specifically, Nehemiah was broken up over the state of the walls of the city of Jerusalem, thinking, how can people ever live there in safety if the walls have all been broken down? The promise that Nehemiah was referring to shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. There the Lord promised to gather them from the places where they had been scattered, and he would lead them back to rebuild Jerusalem. And so these promises that Nehemiah is citing here in his prayer in chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah are hearkening back to that promise in Deuteronomy 30. And Nehemiah would lead them back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah led one of the early waves of returning men who rebuilt the city's walls, and he called on God to remember this promises made back in the days of Moses. We should always seek to be aligned with the Lord's promises. Even when your life or my life goes off track and we suffer the consequences of poor choices, the God of the Bible is a Lord who forgives and welcomes back those who return to him. Have you found yourself far from God at some point or far from his blessings and wondering if he, if he would ever receive you again or if he'd forgotten you? No matter what it is that has captivated you, if you turn back toward him, he will meet you on that path. He will gather you in. Consequences may remain. That's part of life. 
but his fellowship and ability to restore you over time is a continuing characteristic of the nature of God. Here's the big idea that I want to get across this morning. Remembrance realigns us with the promises of God, the price that Jesus paid, and with those who follow after us. Here's the third way that remembrance impacts us. Remembrance takes us to the Lord's table. So a moment ago, I read these words from from Luke chapter 22. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the gospel statement that has been carved into so many communion tables all across the world. Do this in remembrance of me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three gospel writers, all describe the Last Supper between Jesus and the twelve disciples. Luke adds this statement that the others do not. Do this in remembrance for me. In effect, Luke is telling us where to, to, to direct our thoughts while we are receiving communion. That we're not just thinking about the cup and the little lid that we have to peel back, but that we're thinking about Jesus. Remember Jesus. He's asking us to do this. Remember Jesus by taking communion. Remember Jesus within communion as you think about him, what he taught, what he did, who he was, how he has impacted your life. What do you think about when you remember Jesus this way? Sometimes I think about Jesus on the cross in those quiet moments that we have during communion. Sometimes I remember key words or phrases that he said. Things like, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Or I'll think about Psalm 22, where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the rest of that psalm all tells about the way that Jesus died, written literally a thousand years before the time of Jesus. Or I think about his love that led him to offer up his life for our sins. Remember Jesus. And then there's a fourth way that that remembrance impacts us. Remembering work done for Jesus inspires us. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in in our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, his words were full of thanks and remembrance. I I saw a post yesterday by a a friend of mine who was saying, this is basically the outline for every letter that the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. Dear friends, it says at the very beginning, and then it talks about how he's thankful to God for uh, what they have done and who they are. It's basically saying, I'm praying for you and I'm thankful for you. And then it has a bunch of advice that says, don't do stupid stuff. Remember Jesus in everything that you do. And then there's a greeting at the end. Usually it's something like, uh, Timothy here sends along his greetings as well. That's the outline for every New Testament letter that Paul wrote. And so Paul is doing that again here in this one. He's saying, we remember the wonderful things that you have contributed and we remember you in our prayers. So what was Paul remembering? His words were full of thanks and remembrance because he saw evidence of their faith in the work that they had done. He commended them for their labor prompted by love and he noted that their endurance was inspired by hope in Jesus. So faith, labor prompted by love, 
an endurance inspired by hope. 33 years ago, we held the very first service of North River Community Church. We met in the Pembroke Community Center. That was the old Pembroke High School years ago. It's about to be torn down if it hasn't already and replaced. But a small team had helped me put together a demographic study of the South Shore. And that demographic study identified a handful of communities that did not seem to have a viable, biblically orthodox Christian church that was like what we had in mind. Pembroke was one of those communities. Yes, there were other churches. I don't mean to insult any of them. But they were doing something very different from what we had in mind. And for a number of reasons, we were led here. A steering team of 10 people formed in the summer of 1989 to help Sue and me do this. And on Sunday, September 3rd, 1989, as I mentioned earlier, about 75 people were part of that very first service. I can never repay the individuals and families who worked hard to make North River what it eventually became in those early years. But I'm going to do what Paul did in these letters. I'm going to thank some people this morning and invite you to remember with me. Connie Wagner, Leanne Vinyl, Patty McCarty, Sarah Beatty, John Fagerstrom, David Crossman, and I were part of that first worship team. David Crossman was an old folky guitar player who literally wrote original songs almost each week, at least each month, that were tied to my teaching themes. Sometimes a little bit crazy. He would walk in on Tuesday night for our rehearsal. He'd have half the song written. He'd teach us to us. And then he'd say, okay, Paul, you work on harmony parts with everybody while Connie gets the melody down with everybody. I'm going to go off to a back room and write the chorus. And then he'd come back and we'd learn the song. And the next Sunday we would sing that song. But we had a lot of fun learning together about how to do this. Mary Ellen Connor and Janet Ells oversaw the finance team. Tim Ells, Jerry Kim, and Mark Nickerson, and Jean DeVoisin led our overseer teams in those earliest years. John Dean showed up, and he asked where he could serve. And so we did what became a pattern with a whole lot of people. We said, John, we need somebody to set up chairs and take them down. And so John set up chairs and took them down Sunday after Sunday. And when the snow fell, John showed up early and got out a shovel, and he shoveled out the parking lot at the community center. Some of us helped him, too. My wife Sue, Janet Ells, and Barb Nickerson ran our children's ministries, soon to be joined a few years later by a few more people who took it to a higher level, Janet Shipp and Kathy Ekus and Anne DeVoisin, who led it for years, as well as John and Cindy Atwater, who were part of all of that. John and Donna Jean Murata, Bill and Deb Bingham, Chris Prendeville, Scott and Holly Armquist, Gloria and Alan Fisher, and Dave and Jillian Vang were all on board in those early years. Tony Trozzi and I led our fledgling drama team. We tried to portray humor, humor and dilemmas that set up themes that I was teaching on each week. And over time, our dramatic efforts were too really bad at the beginning because nobody had any experience. Improved enough that experienced actors like Derek and Carol the Queen Stearns and Doug Marsden joined our team and weren't embarrassed to lend their professional skills to what we were doing as real rank amateurs. Then a few, a few years in, as we began to grow, Peter Dupre, Dedrick Terry, and David Cote took over our worship experience and took it to a higher levels. Delilah Boydlow began to disciple women while Russ Boydlow joined the worship team and helped Larry Wagner with sound and tech issues that we were learning on the fly. John McCabe walked in and brought depth to our small groups ministry instantly and led an extremely dedicated building team that began to raise funds and look for land and eventually acquire this campus. Crucial members of that team included Jeff Wagner, Dan Catalano, Paul Banville, Mark Dickinson, Jerry Kamen, and Drew Jamison. 
And we are blessed by the efforts that they all put in in those first 10 years or so of our church. So much of the strength of North River flows from the amazing commitment of this wonderful group of people that began to amass. I apologize for leaving anybody out who was there in those early years, but for the sake of time, I could not include everyone. But I still wanted to praise a number of those people who were part of those earliest years and who set the foundation in place. When we stopped to remember, we acknowledged that, the, that people sensed a calling from God to give up already established church experiences and comforts to launch this dream together. I think of, of the parents who had children who were school-aged in those years who gave up established Sunday schools and youth ministry programs to say, we will start here and we will help start those fledgling programs here. If that had never happened, many of the things that we've been blessed by would not be here now. What an inspiring ride this has been. And what an inspiring ride this will continue to be the more that we plug in, the more that we use our gifts and talents. Please never mistake, despite whatever size our staff is, we are a volunteer-driven church. And the gifts that God has given us through you and those who have come before you and those who will come after us, God has blessed what we are doing. Here's the central theme I want to leave you with. Remembrance aligns us with the promises of God the price that Jesus paid, and with those who follow us next. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us to have had some influence here in this part of, of your vineyard for a third of a century. We pray for those who built values into our lives even before North River started. I thank you for the group that sent me out from South Shore Baptist years ago and for those who who prayed over us and, and who helped us along the way. Thank you for all of those who have become a part, a vital part of the ministry of North River. No matter how small the role or how great the role, we are in this together. And we ask that over the next year, as we are coming out of this COVID period and embracing the new reality and marching forward, that you will continue to unfold even better days for us as we seek to make the name of Jesus known all throughout this community, and that people would know specifically that he can be trusted. God, our Father, guide us in this time even more greatly than you have guided us in the past as we lean into your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.